0: hello there you're listening to the watson's weekly roundup podcast with me peter watson today i'm joined by jerry thomas who is a watson's daily ambassador and we'll be talking about the news from the week commencing monday april the 12th hi there jerry how are you doing today i'm doing great very good. Always good to hear your relaxed and soothing voice um, on on a weekly podcast. Um, so, um, <laughs> what we're going to do today, we are going to talk about um, some of the main bits and pieces that we've seen from the world of business and financial markets. Now, the thing is, is uh, before we before we kick off, um, I would say there has been an absolute ton of stuff happening this week, and I don't know if that is. Uh, uh, just me um, being especially sensitive from the fact that I didn't do Watson's Daily last week and suddenly I'm being overwhelmed um, or or what really. But it, there's so much to, to cover this week. So in today's podcast, what we're going to do is we are going to um, look at macro bitcoins and vaccines. We are then going to talk about the um, crackdown in China um, on big tech, uh, especially. And then we're going to take a look at the UK consumer. Um, so um, so starting off, um, talking about the macro thing, essentially things are going well, especially in America, China and the UK. So, um, So for instance, in the US, um, you, you know there was a there was a wall street journal survey um that 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 said that you know a survey of economists um which said that um things were going particularly well and they it actually expected the best gdp growth um since the reagan era um so that is pretty amazing um actually it was quite funny because i said this in a in a um Uh, In one of the Thursday night calls and someone put in the the, in the chat box, they said, um, I wasn't even I wasn't even born back then. So. um, So anyway, again, it just goes to show um, how amazing. Well, certainly the forecasts are for uh, for GDP growth. Um, Anyway, uh, this is all obviously it's to do with federal stimulus and successful vaccine rollouts um and um and and, and actually we we saw more stuff um on thursday when the u.s commerce department talks about retail sales um shooting up um by almost 10 percent uh, last month and then you've got the labor department um talking about jobless ca- claims falling as well so it's all it's all going pretty well at the moment in the u.s uh, then in china um there were some pretty amazing um, figures out as well. So the um, China's GDP was up by 18.3% in the first quarter this year versus the previous year. Um, And that is a record growth rate. Um, But funnily enough, it did actually fall short of what analysts were expecting. But still, that is an amazing um, achievement. But I would imagine that this... um, kind of growth rate is going to be unsustainable for the next uh, for, well you know for the rest of this year because um china although it was the first one to really you know do the lockdown um it was also the first one to recover as well so the comparatives are going to be um if you pardon me i don't know this is a good way of saying this they're going to be increasingly less impressive is what is yeah anyway um so there you go um so china's doing very well uh in the uk Um, again things going uh, pretty well for us in the uk Um, the latest stats from the office for national statistics talking about um, uk being back on the economic growth track with gdp up 0.4 percent in february versus the previous month and that's all to do with uh, retailers seeing rising sales and manufacturing being boosted by rising car production so all good um I mean, to be honest, wherever you look, really, in terms of surveys, whoever, whoever seems to do it, um, they're all um, looking, saying that, you know, consumer confidence is up. You've got business confidence up, um, services, manufacturing, all of that kind of thing um, is is you know, is looking good. So there was another one, gov and C E B R, they showed they had a, a survey which showed the consumer confidence at the highest level since twenty eighteen. So it's all it's all good. Um so, um, moving on, Bitcoin actually broke the sixty-three thousand dollar level, um, which was uh, pretty impressive. As uh, as always, uh, no one really knows why. <laughs> uh, and then, um, but then, actually, to do with that, we also had the IPO uh, of Coinbase, which was interesting because because uh, um, of a number of things. One is because um, it is the biggest cryptocurrency exchange in the US, um, and nothing like that has floated before um and the second thing is it's interesting because it went via a direct listing um and um a- again you know this just doesn't happen all the time um did very well initially but then fell back quite considerably um but you know there's ob- lot, all the commentary seems to t- um, point to the fact that it's you know it is going to rise and fall um it sounds like in in sort of direct correlation with um the movements of bitcoin but what, what do you think
1: uh i mean to be honest i think that the risks of coinbase being um affected so much by you know the regulatory concerns that do surround bitcoin are a bit overstated mm-hmm. i mean obviously there are the similar risks as you said There's no one really knows why bitcoin does well or does badly mm seems like it's purely driven by hype. Mm. Um, and in this case, I think you know, people saw the Coinbase listing and they thought, okay, let's buy Bitcoin. Mm. And then people saw that Bitcoins are going up and they thought, let's buy uh, shares in Coinbase. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what I think, you know, I've looked into Coinbase a fair amount, I think what makes it really stand out is um, that the founders have been very clear from the start that they aren't looking to avoid regulation. Yeah. And you know, when I say from the start, I mean when it was founded in, in 2012. Yeah. And that's at a point where you know Bitcoin's worth pretty much nothing. Yeah. It's not mainstream. Uh, And most Bitcoin related companies are really promoting the idea of um, it being an underground untraceable currency at this time, which is obviously not what regulators Mm -hmm. want. And in contrast, if you look at what the founders of Bitcoin, uh, sorry, the founders of Coinbase were saying at that time, they were really viewing Bitcoin as something that had long term viability, um, could be mainstream as a digital currency. And they realized you can only really do this if you do work with the banks and regulators. Mm -hmm. And I think that the fact that it has been so consistent in that philosophy over the past decade should provide at least some comfort that it won't be um as as volatile as as bitcoin um because it is clearly running a very level-headed way
0: yeah it's very it is very interesting i mean i think that um you know certainly it seems to have um a good reputation um for really complying with regulations and guidance and all that sort of thing so um there's no reason for regulators to to really get be down on it um particularly Um, i i just guess that the the main difficulty is going to be is if if if, um, the regulators actually follow through on their you know collective slagging off of bitcoin that um you know they suddenly really put a lot of pressure on it and the value goes down you know the value tanks i mean because the thing is is that if it does tank um does you know a coinbase will still do well because they'll they'll take commissions from um, selling people selling um uh you know bitcoin down um but the the problem there is, is if if everyone sells out then you know are they going to be uh, are buyers going to come back or are they going to feel that i 've been burnt for a while so i don 't know i mean it's it's it 's an interesting thing um coinbase sounds like uh you know is as as um, Bitcoin related and cu- cu- cryptocurrency related things stand, um, it seems you know pretty solid. But um, but anyway, we'll, we shall see, won't we? And uh, uh, I think that the founders will have made um, a fair amount of money. Not too bad for um, for something that, like you say, was founded in 2012 so uh anyway uh moving on uh vaccines um so someone from the chinese center of disease control and prevention started off the week um, by saying something about uh the potential for mixing jabs which is it was kind of taken as a direct criticism really of the efficacy um, of the domestically made um uh, chinese uh vaccines and um uh, the interesting thing there was the following day um, the uh, th- this person backtracked and, and uh, said that they were misunderstood and their comments were taken out of context, and the media was also you know very keen to be very pro um, the domestically made vaccines so yeah that seemed to be um, that was that was quite uh, interesting and, and, and dramatic uh, we also um, we also saw another uh, j- uh another interesting development uh, about the um, johnson and johnson jab uh, but but did you want to say something about that
1: <laughs> uh sure if i mean i can get us started off on that yeah um, i mean in watson's daily you talked about how it's affecting the supply to the eu yeah um, what i was really just going to add is that i think the other component that it affects is the public perception of vaccines yeah i mean at a time where we're trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible uh, as possible, mm-hmm. Um, and as quickly as possible, especially under the threat of these new variants we're hearing about, mm-hmm. I think when these safety issues are, are so heavily publicized, even when it is you know one case in, in a million mm. and there's no causal link yep. uh, established yet, I think it's really just going to make people even more hesitant to get the vaccine, yeah. um, especially since there's now two different types of vaccine which have had this, this blood clotting problem. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, they have paused the vaccine rollout to try and increase public trust yeah. and show that they are being careful. But I think that maybe that has the opposite effect to an extent. Yeah. I mean, if you are already skeptical about the vaccine, and then you hear, okay, they've paused the rollout. Yeah. Um, I think that would really only reaffirm your belief that it wasn't yeah. safe in the first place. Yeah. Especially if it's taking them, you know, days and days to, to come to a decision. Yeah. Um, so I think it affects it that way.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is the well, what I thought was quite interesting about this was that the Johnson and Johnson jab and the AstraZeneca jab seem to work along the same you know they have to say they work in the same sort of way um and uh but uh, yeah so maybe there's that the the mrna or whatever it is (laughs) sorry but you know the same kind of the same kind of thing but i think that um uh what is particularly um not necessarily disappointing but what is a um, particularly difficult, with regards to this latest development, um, is the fact that it would have been a really good way of Europe catching up on um, on vaccination, uh, you know, on their vaccination plans. Because, of course, the Johnson and Johnson jab was one shot, not two, um, so it really would have accelerated things quite considerably. I think. So that's you know, when you when you've got um, uh, Europe not doing particularly uh, brilliantly. You've got the AstraZeneca thing being stopped or suspended, uh, in various places. Um, you've got the, the serum Institute of India, not exporting vaccines. You've got, and then, you know, to add insult to injury, um, this, this whole Johnson and Johnson thing is not doing very well. I mean, it's just, it is, it is a very tricky time. And, and obviously that just makes things worse for Europe. Um, and uh, and and that you know doesn't make the fact that uh, Pfizer clearly has seen an opportunity here, uh, and they've decided to increase prices for their COVID vaccine to the to the EU by a whopping sixty percent. Um, so I mean that's okay. Pfizer's not a charity, um, and you know pharmaceuticals. You know people might argue that um, they're making money out of you know people's misery and and their misfortune um to to catch the virus um but you know having said that that's that's what pharmaceuticals are all about aren't they i mean they they make medicine that makes makes people better um and so you know this is another thing it just happens to be rather high, high profile so um interesting there i mean they're sort of semi looks like kind of price gouging it's not quite that <laughs> like that but it's 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 the same idea um I think um but um but anyway yes yeah, so was- I mean
1: all of the all of the main manufacturers including Pfizer did say that you know affordability is the main concern until yeah. the pandemic has ended yeah. um so I don't know if Pfizer think the pandemic's ended already uh, or if they've <laughs> just taken opportunity but I, I think, think that, it's very yeah. likely that all of the other vaccine manufacturers are just going to follow what what Pfizer's done.
0: Exactly. I mean, it doesn't really
1: seem like uh, the public perception is affected at all by by these kind of price hikes. No. Because the government's paying for it anyway.
0: Exactly. So they feel that it's not them paying for it, but actually everyone will pay for it um, via taxes or some way, you know. So, um, so yes, it is interesting. And actually, um, the other thing as well is if they... If people think if sorry, if pharmaceuticals companies think that, oh, well, they've got 60 percent and they haven't actually had that much flack uh, about it then we, you know, we can increase our prices by, say, 50% uh, and look heroic uh, at the same <laughs> time um, while still um, uh, you know, uh, putting through a 50% price hike.
1: Especially um, AstraZeneca. I mean, yeah. Pfizer's doses are, what, £17 now? Um, yeah. And AstraZeneca's are, like, £2. two pounds. If yeah. I was AstraZeneca, I'd be increasing these prices straight away. I mean, they haven't gotten that much credit for, for no. selling them at cost, for not profiting. I think the share price has gone down, um, you know, since since they announced the vaccine in the first place. And if people don't trust their vaccine in the first place, they might as well just give up on the whole, you know, building goodwill idea and just um, Mm. go for the price. I
0: don't know, though. I mean, I think that maybe ultimately you know, the goodwill thing is, is still important, but, um, but yeah, at the moment it's not looking good, is it? Um, But anyway, um, we've got uh, the, the other, actually another sort of bad news bit um, about, let's get the bad news of the vaccines out of the way. Um, So India talking about doing a deal with Russia um, for their Sputnik 5 vaccine um getting you know and they're talking about they they've decided to give um the vaccine uh, emergency approval um so that gives them another you know an, an, another bit of ammo in in their um in their arsenal in their vaccine arsenal um and then the, actually they also at the same time um they decided to approve um for emergency use any vaccines that had already been approved in the us uk europe and japan so normally they do something called bridging trials which i presume means you know them test testing it on indian you know citizens and things um i know japan does that kind of thing actually but um anyway so uh yeah doing that but they've decided no just Fast track, Bosch, you know, let's let's let you know, let's get involved. Um, So anyway, so that's more bad news. But on the on the positive side, um, there was there was actually news uh, news in that the German company called CureVac, which is quite possibly the most apt name um, of, of many a company um so it's a bio german biotech company uh it's it's you know it's hoping to get approval for its covid19 vaccine um in i you know next month or in june um so that should be i mean that's good news i think obviously for uh um for europe um i've just realized actually i made a mistake before when i said about the um uh the technology uh you know the, the 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 vaccines use the astrazeneca and um uh the johnson and johnson one it's not mrna the mrna one is for um biotech pfizer and moderna vaccines so just just to sorry about that <laughs> Live fact checking yeah there you go facts checking there you go uh, anyway um right so uh so that that was uh on on vaccines um, the next thing um, I really wanted to talk about was China, the China crackdown. Um, I think this is a very, very interesting topic um, that has come up um, uh, this week, especially. Now, you could trace it back really to, to last year. So the, the, the basic story is the Chinese government is cracking down on big uh, Chinese tech companies. And um, I guess you could trace it back most recently to the sort of November last year. When um the the when Ant Group was going to um going to list, it was going to be the biggest IPO ever. Um, and forty eight hours before it was supposed to float, um the the, uh, the government um you know refused it. It got pulled, and then after that there was problems with you know it it pulled um, Jack Ma in. Um, Jack Ma is the one who founded Alibaba and Ant Group came out of alibaba over the years so jack ma is is basically everywhere uh you know in, in in that um so he disappeared for a while which um actually is something that jerry wrote about uh in, in watson's daily quick bites uh, <laughs> but um just just to just to get that plug in there um but um, but anyway yeah so it, it carried out so it happened at the end of last year um this pulling of the of the ipo um jack ma disappeared in the in the interim periods um all the all the uh chinese big tech stocks suffered because they thought they were going to be next um for uh government focus then didn't hear that much really uh, and then uh and here we are that uh, we got, came to come to this week alibaba got a massive um, fine uh 2.8 billion dollar fine which is massive but it's not actually that massive for Alibaba, considering that 2.8 billion dollars only represents four percent of its 2019 revenues. Um, so they got that, they got that at the beginning of the week, um, but actually the um, share price actually recovered the day after because I suppose that investors think well that's the end of it you know that the there have been a cloud hanging over alibaba and the rest of the uh, chi- um, uh, uh, uh chinese tech stocks because there are worries about a fine how big could it be or maybe even break up of the of um of the company so so for, for as far as alibaba is concerned it actually looks like they've got off quite well really because they could have been broken up for instance but um instead you know they got this fine and you know they say they're gonna behave and uh uh, et cetera et cetera but uh i don't know do you you have any thoughts on that at all
1: i mean i think it's very similar to whenever you know the european commission finds the typical big tech companies that we hear about all the time Um, i remember when i was doing research for for the quick bites article you're talking about i looked at yeah. the largest fine that was issued by the European Commission, and that was $5 billion imposed on Google yeah. in 2018. Yeah, And even yeah. that was only 3.7% of their annual revenue that year. And if yeah. you look at um, Alphabet's annual report, you can find the fine listed under the costs and expenses section with just you yeah. know, standard operational costs there. So it's pretty clear that they, you know, companies of this size, they just don't care about that kind yeah. of fine. Um, yeah. And obviously, the other related story this week on the antitrust point was Chinese regulators giving tech companies a month to fix their anti-competitive policies. And yep. I think we're really interested to see whether China really restricts itself to fines as punishment after this this one-month deadline is passed. Obviously, mm. the European Commission is fairly limited in terms of what it can do to a company like Google, whereas mm. the, um, the SAMR, the State Administration for Market Regulation, which is the Chinese um, Competition Authority, does have mm-hmm. a lot more control over these Chinese tech companies because you yeah, know, they are. Their presence is so concentrated in China, um, and they're yeah. so reliant on the government support. Really, um, yeah. so I think it'll really be interesting to see what happens a month from now and whether China China really follows through. Yeah, no,
0: I think that is uh, that will be that will be very interesting, and uh, it's something that really I I don't know if it gets it doesn't get that much airtime here, but I think it should. It, this is this is really key, you know. Um, and uh, anyway, it is, it is
1: all, really all symbolic because. If you look at what China has historically done, they've really protected mm. these um, so-called national champions. You know, mm. they protect them from foreign competitors. They they financially support yeah. their growth. If you, I mean, if you go to China, you can't use Twitter and YouTube, um, but the government yeah. obviously has their own domestic versions, which they're they're fine with.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so it yeah. seems like there's a massive reversal of the position in China, um, and it's not really yeah. clear. I mean, to me at least, it's not clear why they're choosing to do it now. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, <laughs> these anti-competitive. Uh, practices they, they've been going on for years and years in China it's never really mm. been a problem um, And in fact I, I would probably go, go so far as to say that China likes having these these domestic companies being so successful because it's mm. obviously something that brings prestige um and you know even earlier earlier on in the podcast we were talking about China backtracking on those comments about mixing vaccines just because it implied that mm. their vaccine wasn't good enough um yeah. and in the same way I think I guess, I guess China feels now that the prestige that these companies and um, these big tech companies is is not enough um yeah relative to the threat that they pose to the state
0: yeah no i think i think all of that is is uh, very interesting and you make a lot of um very good valid points there um and i mean in terms of timing i wonder whether any of this whole um crackdown on big tech in you know american big tech i wonder if that even features at all in in the thinking um, i mean one thing I, I think uh, might be behind the timing is that might be a little consideration, but the other thing is, is that, um, is that actually the big tech groups have done very well over lockdown. Um, and therefore you could argue that they can take it, you know, at the moment, whereas if they'd have say done this, um, maybe, I don't know, February, March last year, um they would have been in a much weaker position and would have done more damage by cracking down on them whereas now um uh, you know they've done so well that actually um they can you know they can they can uh, they can um take the punishment much much better so uh, but obviously the the government I would have thought does not want to shoot itself in the foot. And um, you know, like you say, I think it's proud of these kinds of companies and the fact that they've done well, it's just that they've got to be seen to do something they are doing. It is quite, you know, it is a considerable, you know, this is not necessarily a slap on the wrist. Um, This is, you know, this is serious. And so hopefully, um, you know, if, if it makes an example of the, of the biggest bully, as it were then you know everyone else is more likely to fall into line so um so anyway we'll see we'll see but definitely this is a story really worth following i think um Okay, and then I thought we finished today on um, on consumer. The last thing was to talk about the UK consumer, because, of course, this week um, we saw the opening up of um, of the UK economy a bit more than than we have seen. Um, And, you know, actually, the biggest story of the week is, of course, um, I did actually manage to get a haircut uh, on the first day at five o'clock. Uh, which I was very pleased about because uh, it was really getting me down. Um, but anyway, um, so we had all these kind of non-essentials opening. Um, there's, there's a lot of hopes that, the, um, that consumers are going to spend the apparently £180 billion pounds that they've saved under lockdown. Um, now, just to give you an idea of scale, um, that is roughly equivalent to 10% of the UK's GDP. So, um, you know, what are we going to be spending the money on? Oh, actually, sorry, the, the, you know, apparently the figures for footfall on the first day were good, but not stellar. Uh, but then again, I imagine that people were, you know, not desperate to necessarily get out on the first day. Be quite interesting to see whether there's momentum. Uh, building up um, over the over the coming weeks and things um, but I guess I would have thought it would it will get better um, uh, and you know so what are we spending the money on we're we're spending them on apparently drive-ins uh, very popular um, and uh, and also uh, this because we're all gonna potentially go on staycations and it sounds to me everyone I know who's going on a um on a holiday says they're going to cornwall so it sounds like everyone is going to cornwall um you know they'll be on the motorways and things and road chef which is the uh, you know the services that uh, you know they do the roadside services they're hiring a thousand extra people um to try and cope with the uh, to cope with the extra demand. um and yeah, I mean, actually, on, on the job, sorry, just so, while well, we're on the job, the subject of jobs, um, apparently UK job vacancies are now back to pre-pandemic levels. So all very exciting. Um, and in terms of I'm just trying to think in terms of other um, uh, uh, patterns in terms of consumption pc sales are continuing to go up they were up by 55 percent in the first quarter strongest quarter since 2012 apple is growing uh, market share uh, and then apart from that we've got um, you know we we had some uh, input you know we, we we got to see how well uh, uh, takeaway food place uh, you know companies are doing so just eat was doing very well um, and taking market share apparently Deliveroo also had a great um, had a great first quarter, but of course um, for them um, you would have thought that uh, demand is going to be slowing down. Be interesting to see how much it slows down because Deliveroo said, and you would have thought actually Deliveroo was saying this because they've just had that flotation. Um, they're, they're saying that in places where um, lockdown was lifted, um, that actually the uh, takeaways you know they suffered initially um but they went back up again um shortly afterwards so i don't know i don't know whether that's going to happen um but um i'm thinking that surely they won't see the growth uh levels that they saw before i think
1: delivery has also um diversified into you know other types of delivery i think that they've got partnerships with um sainsbury's waitrose a few others um and i mean Mm. i i can understand obviously if you want to going and eat at a restaurant that's different but i can't understand why people would actually want (laughs) to go shopping in person i think that's something that will Mm. probably be here to stay or at least um, a a much stronger habit than than takeaways would be
0: yeah i mean you would you would well i do think that there have been signs that especially older people um, have been drifting back into um, supermarkets and i would say I still go into supermarket yeah I st- I have actually been going to supermarkets all the way through um just because look, you know I I love cooking I I do a lot, I do a lot of this stuff and um I don't I just don't want the um uh and and actually this sounds terrible this oh god this is a real admission a public admission um what the, the wife and I we we actually plan all of our meals for a week in advance into minute detail um and so you know if we were to get to order stuff online and get a whole load of substitutes or things that had the wrong um uh, uh, sell by date on them, that totally scuppers us completely, so we need for us to do stuff we we always um we always want to go and and choose this stuff in person, but i know i'm not you know i know i'm I'm pretty weird <laughs> like that uh, not everyone does it like that um but yeah you know i mean and, and some people just just like going anyway um and i i would argue that if you know if if you if you don't order your food online now or your supermarket on a shop online now i would i would suggest that you're probably not going to you know because after a year and a, over a year where you could have got um got online and done all this um if you've not done it, yeah, I mean you you you're probably someone who just wants to go there anyway. Anyway, so I think we will we'll just um bring it to a close there. Um there as I said before, there is a lot of stuff this that's happened this week. Really, really interesting stuff. Um I'm gonna put it in all in the um Watson's Weekly, um, which which hopefully you will you will see soon. Um it's obviously gonna be shortened a lot, but there's there's a lot in there um you know please read it because this kind of stuff you know to to get this volume of information does it really it really does help you with your understanding uh, of all this and it helps you to um see trends and and all that kind of thing and and it's just it's so and it's very useful um because it will help you to understand so many other things as they occur but anyway um Thank you very much indeed uh, to Jerry for, uh, for your time. Um, and um, and thank you for the listeners, for listening and, and continuing to support us. Um, so uh, I just want to say thanks very much. And uh, speak have again a lovely soon. weekend. Right. Thank you.